Before we begin our study today, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk this morning about boundaries and how to think about boundaries, how to have healthy boundaries, how to have balanced boundaries. Healthy and balanced boundaries can really give you a stronger life and they can keep you out of trouble. And I also want to talk about useful attitudes about boundaries. Now the Torah portion this week continues with many different instructions about boundaries. What's permitted, what's not permitted. And remember this, Israel at that time had just come out of Egypt. And they had been surrounded by a culture that had its own religious and spiritual and moral and even legal framework for society. And God wants to put into Israel an entirely new and different framework, a different way of living, a different perspective, a a, a different way of seeing everything. And not just a different religion, but a different life, an altogether different life where the people would be serving the Lord in all of their lives. Now, the readings this week start in Leviticus chapter 16 with a reference to the death of the two sons of Aaron the high priest. We read about that a few weeks ago. Remember, they were the ones who crossed the line with the Lord. They went out of bounds. And they offered what was called strange fire, a sacrifice to the Lord that was seriously unacceptable. It it was so unacceptable. Here's the sequence. Prior to them offering this strange fire, there had been an offering that was pleasing to the Lord, and the Lord sent fire from heaven, and it came down, and it consumed the offering. It was amazing. That would be startling, wouldn't it? And even unforgettable. Well, these two guys come up. There's some indication they may have been drinking beforehand based on the rest of the text. But in any case, they offer something that God had not asked for, that Moses had not instructed them in. And it was so unacceptable to God that fire again came down from heaven. But this time, it didn't consume the offering. It consumed the two guys. And that would be unforgettable too. So this passage this week starts with uh, a reminder about that. And then there are many instructions given about all sorts of things. You You can and you should read about those details. Now some of the instructions in this week's readings are actually background to decisions that were made by Yeshua's disciples who became apostles when they were facing the new situation of Gentiles coming to faith in Yeshua. So think clearly, if you can, about that. All of the believers, all of the disciples were Jews. Everyone who was following Yeshua was Jewish. And and the question that came up was, can Gentiles be saved? Is it even possible for a Gentile to be saved? And there was a debate about that. There were different opinions about that. And some had the opinion that Gentiles could not be saved. That's it. Clear and simple. So if a Gentile started 
thinking Yeshua was the Messiah. First, they needed to become a Jew. They had to convert to Judaism in the official ways. For the guys, that meant circumcision, and then immersion in water, and then, um, then if they had faith, they could become a believer. Now, fast forward to today, and there are still people who wonder, can Jews be saved? There are, there are people today who think if you're going to follow Messiah, the first thing you must do is convert from your Judaism, from being a Jew. You must uh, renounce all things Jewish and become uh, a Gentile. And then, if you believe in Yeshua, you can be saved. Well, well both of those understandings are different from the understandings that the apostles had what they developed and what, what they decided on. So we're going to read about how they handled the new situation of Gentiles coming to faith in Yeshua. And they gave some decisions that parallel some of the boundaries that are mentioned in the Torah portion about blood and sexual immorality. So they're talking about sexual behavior and idolatry. And if you have your Bible right now, open to Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 28. And open is a metaphor if you're using digital. Yeah, touch your Bible. <laughs> I don't know the correct verbs, but we'll use the tried and true. Acts chapter 15, verse 28. And the, the background is there's, there's a discussion going on what is required for Gentiles? The, the, the further background is there are some people who have become part of the greater circle of uh, those who believe in Yeshua. Some from the Pharisees who say it's absolutely necessary for Gentiles to become Jews first. They must, the men must be circumcised, then they can be immersed in water, and then they can live the life of faith. And the apostles are considering that versus Peter's position, which was that when Gentiles come to the Lord with faith, then they're ready to be immersed in water and uh, receive the Holy Spirit because God is ready to receive them from whatever nation they come to. So that was a controversy. And the apostles make a decision. This is reflected in Acts chapter 15, verse 28. They write this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you, because they're communicating this in a letter, not to burden you Gentiles with anything beyond these essential requirements. Say that with me, these essential requirements. Another way of saying it is not to require anything more than you than the following. You must abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat, of strangled animals and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So <laughs> that's short, isn't it? it? Understand it's not exhaustive as an example. They clearly expected the new believing Gentiles to not murder each other or them. To not take up the sword against each other. Uh, it would have been useful, I think, to put that in 
they could not have imagined it, but within a few hundred years, uh, the bishops were ordering you know, people to be killed uh, who didn't conform. But in any case, we won't go down that direction. So they had some very specific directions. Don't eat what has been sacrificed to idols. Don't eat blood. Don't eat meat from animals that were strangled and don't engage in sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Now, in order to understand what sexual immorality was, it definitely would require some additional learning on the part of the Gentiles because there were different views as to what was sexually immoral. Uh, Just think about the United States. If you said, don't do anything that's sexually immoral. (laughs) A lot of different opinions about what behavior you're talking about. But if you, if you do read Torah, you'll see some specific details about that. Well, there was an expectation that this would be a useful foundation for the new Gentile believers in Yeshua who were joining themselves with the Jewish believers. They were coming together. And some of the instructions, no doubt, would require further learning. But there was confidence on the part of the apostles, that further learning would be possible. And it's not because everybody could bring a digital Bible at that time. There were none. They couldn't bring a paper Bible because there weren't printing presses. They did expect, though, that the Jewish believers would continue to do what the Jewish people had done for for ages, and that is on Shabbat they'd gather together in synagogues, they'd gather together in, in their congregations, and they would read out loud the Torah and the Haft Torah. And they would share in the community everything that had been written that could be useful for the people. So there's, there was this understanding that the, the new believers who were coming from the Gentiles, who were coming from other nationalities, would be gathering together with the Jewish believers and together they would be learning and they would be growing. So there was learning that was possible. Now some people I know have a different interpretation of that idea because it it does mention that the Torah and the prophets would be read in synagogues everywhere every Shabbat. And so some people interpret it differently than the way I was describing it. They think what that means is that ultimately all the Gentiles will convert to Judaism first as part of their life. And you can see that in the epistles and and in other writings in the British Hadashah that this issue surfaces over and over and over again. There is a perseverance on the part of that perspective. That everybody to be right with God must become a Jew. Now what's often hidden and often missed is that you could say there were three kinds of communities or assemblies. One was was more like the community in Jerusalem which was made up of Jews and maybe only Jews. Others were like the communities in, in Antioch and the diaspora that were made up of Jews and Gentiles together. And then the other one, the other kind of group was made up exclusively of Gentiles. And that group had to develop its own understandings and its own practices as well. So every group had to work things out. 
What held them together was their confidence that Yeshua was in fact the Messiah. They came from diversity. They came from different backgrounds and different perspectives. And in every case, they had some strengths from their perspective and they had some weaknesses from their perspective. And they had to work through that. How many of you know it's not easy for Republicans and Democrats to have civil conversation these days about simple things like health care? Or anything (laughs) political. (laughs) And can you imagine having uh, a congregation that's made up, you know, it's made up like of such diversity. You've got people who are coming from a Jewish background and people coming from a Gentile background. Can you imagine how hard it would be to be in such a congregation? And people coming from different uh, political spectrums. Some more aggressive than others. And, And people who have their own original experience that they think everybody should be conforming to. Those poor apostles, what a hard time they must have had. We, on the other hand, have it easy. Nothing has changed. (laughs) That's right. Nor will it change. As long as God perseveres in his plan to have these two categories of people, Jews and Gentiles, nothing will change. Because God has a plan to reach every people group and to use the Jews and to use the nations to reveal his glory. He's not going to erase our boundaries He's going to strengthen us with qualities and help us erase our weaknesses in our relationship with each other. Now, if the believers, the new believers who were Gentiles, were in a synagogue on Shabbat with Jewish disciples of Yeshua, they would be hearing together more details about different instructions, including what is considered sexual immorality. And then they could discuss those details together, and they could move forward in the new life together. And the assumption is that they'll have a good heart towards each other. Can you imagine how impossible it is to have meaningful discussion if you don't have a good heart towards each other? If you're just sitting in in judgment and criticism of the one who has the different perspective, then all you will be doing is pushing forward rejection rather than love and kindness. So it's important for us to understand that the apostles had a good heart. How many of you believe that the apostles were good-hearted? At least half of you. The other half of you, you're not sure. You think, maybe I'm asking a trick question. You don't want to go on record yet. Uh, I don't know. I think they were trustworthy. That's why they were called apostles. They were eyewitnesses. They had experienced, they had had, uh, they had had a common experience with the Lord. Even Paul, who was not one of the original apostles, walked in unity with the original apostles and uh, had a absolute commitment that they would be one group together and not divided one against the other. So 
they discussed, they worked out, but they did make boundaries. Whenever, whenever we use the word Gentile, some people get upset. I'm not exactly sure why. But l- let me just enlarge for you the understanding of the word Gentile. Gentile means a people group. It means nationality. It means ethnic group. It, it, it does not exclusively mean heathen or pagan. And so if you think Gentile means heathen or pagan, then you are putting a very narrow definition that doesn't apply in the, to the New Testament use of the, the Greek word ethne in describing believers. Now, I discovered something like this the first time I went to Russia and I was, uh, I was teaching a class trying to help get the Messianic movement started uh, in Moscow. And, and I asked a question. I had, I had um, a, a group about this big together. And, and I said, how many of you came to the Lord on your own without help from anybody? And almost nobody was there who had just an isolated, alone experience. I said, how many people, how many of you were led to the Lord by a Jewish person? And there were a few who were there because God had already been doing a work among the Jewish people. And then I said, how many of you were led to the Lord by a Gentile? And one person raised their hand. And I turned to the interpreter, I said, something's wrong here. I, I thought these were all believers. And I, I said to the group, uh, are you all believers? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, I don't get it. Either the Lord led you all by himself, he used a Jewish person, or he used a Gentile. And then someone called out, who spoke some English too, and said, the interpreter didn't say Gentile in Russian. He said pagan. And so my question had come out in, in Russian like this. And how many of you were led to the Lord by pagans? And the one person who knew what I was getting at and understood what I had said had raised their hand, but they weren't led to the Lord by a pagan. And so if you think that the New Testament scriptures use ethne to describe pagans, then you won't be able to read the book of Romans or Galatians or many others because you will miss, you will miss what Ephesians has to say. You'll miss so many things. The, the scriptures are talking about how God wants to move not only for the sake of the Jewish people, but all people groups. Say this with me, all people groups. And when we read the word Gentile in the scriptures, it's mainly talking about people groups. So I want you to get that. So if I use the word Gentile, I'm not using a slur word. It's a technical word. Now, some people misunderstand this. So they think that if they become a believer in Messiah and they want to recapture and recover, you know, true, authentic faith, they can't call themselves Gentiles. And so that generates like an amusing uh, scenario where people start finding new words to describe what they are. You know, one of them is uh, we are now Hebrews. And 
I don't think so. But it's confusion. It's confusion. Because you can be a Gentile and a believer. And if you don't believe me, believe Paul. Because when he wrote the Roman, to the Romans, he wrote a letter to the believers and he said, I'm writing to you Gentiles. And how could he get that wrong? So I want to encourage you, get your understandings lined up with the apostles and how they use different terms. So when I use the word Gentile, I mean it in the most respectful of ways. And if I say uh, people group or ethnic group or nationality, I'm only translating what the word means. But I mean the same thing. In order for you to be rooted in the scriptures, I want to use the words that the scriptures use, Gentiles. Okay, so if you think Gentile is a bad word, you can make a note and say Gentile is not a bad word. And every day go home and read it out loud to yourself until you believe that. Whenever instructions such as these are given uh, to a community of faith, there's a risk that people will go out of bounds in two ways. One way of going out of bounds is to say, none of the laws, none of the instructions really matter. All that matters is if you believe. And if you fit into the community because you believe, that's really what matters. There is no need for uh, laws or instructions. And that just means the people are lawless. They are without any law. Now the other direction can be called maybe excessive focus on some laws and instructions, cherry-picked usually, that, um, that are associated with judgmental and critical attitudes and associated with legalism and a sense of religious superiority and arrogance. And, and I say that uh, because I'm trying to be precise here. They're associated with that because what always happens in my experience, and I, I'm saying always because what I mean is always. <laughs> what always happens when people have those attitudes, they cherry pick the scriptures and find the parts that they are doing or think they're doing, and then they hold those up as the standards by which they judge everyone. And I can tell you that's cheating. (laughs) Because if you're going to use the, we'll say the traditional enumeration, 613, but I can tell you there's more than 613. Because if there are 613 according to all the Jewish counts, traditional Jewish counts, you've got to add several more because Yeshua said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So now we're up to 614. So you can keep going, but you know, for the sake of uh, goodwill, we'll start with 613. You can say 613. Can everybody say 613? 613. And that's shorthand. Uh, Because there's not even agreement that it's 613. But it's shorthand for all the positive and negative uh, laws and regulations that are given in the scriptures that should apply to everyone in some way. So people cherry pick those. But according to the rules, if you're going to judge everyone by those 613, two things happen. Number one, you get judged by them. Yeshua affirmed this. He said, the measure you use 
is used to you. Mm -hmm. So it's a dangerous thing. The other thing is the rule is it's either all 613 that you're going to be judged by or you don't judge people that way. There's another way of evaluating things. It doesn't mean you're lawless. It means you're not holding up all 613. So when people are coming to me and I already see that uh, they are critical and judgmental and they're out of bounds and they're tempted by a sense of superiority and arrogance and they, they want to test me on a law. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready because Yeshua equipped me to be ready And the way to be ready is I test them on a law of the same category that they're not keeping. And that's when the dancing begins. And and I do that for uh, an instructional purpose, that they might be awakened to what they're doing and thus catch themselves and fix themselves. It doesn't always work. Well, some people are more inclined to one extreme or the other. I want to encourage you to avoid those two extremes. The lawlessness on one side and the cherry-picking air of superiority on the other side. There's always going to be a need for boundaries. Otherwise, there's no distinction between the holy and the unholy. We can learn about the right attitudes from the first Messianic community and the experiences they wrote about. So we're going to look at those, and that's going to be the, take us just a few minutes. Acts 15, 28, we read that already. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these essential requirements. Isn't that a great statement? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We liked what the Holy Spirit was showing. (laughs) And then let's back up Acts 15, starting in verse 6. The group is discussing things, and Peter gets up and addresses them, and he says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles, there's that word, might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, Because he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it's through the the mercy, the grace and loving kindness and faithfulness of our Lord, Yeshua, that we are saved just as they are. Well, the whole assembly, verse 12, became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they were finished, Yaakov spoke up. It was Yaakov or Jacob, not James, because there were no Jameses. Uh, Just a point of history. And it goes on, brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, kakatuv, as it is written. And then when he says, as it is written, this is a Jewish way of preparing to quote a scripture without giving the citation. 
The modern Christian way is to give the chapter and verse, book, chapter, verse. But the Jewish way is to say kakatuv as it's written and then to quote it. And so he quotes, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. So that, say that with me, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. And so Jacob, Yaakov continues, it's my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now what's interesting to me is that Jacob is quoting from memory this week's Haftorah portion from Amos. And so it's from Amos chapter 9. So the reading of the Torah and the prophets helped shape the right attitudes of the apostles and all the first generation of believers. And for those of you who are new to respecting Torah and the prophets, and you're trying to figure out how to call yourself, if you call yourself Torah observant, it already means something that you probably are not. If you call yourself Shomer Mitzvot, it already means something that you are not, because you drove here, I already know you're not. (laughs) If you're Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Shabbat, you're not according to the already well-known meaning and usage in the Jewish world, you're something else. But if you're new to these things, then you have to understand that the apostles were really serious using the scriptures not to to make it difficult for people and not to have an air of superiority, but in order to welcome people in and to give the, the necessary boundaries but not to make it impossible because they had learned something. Just as it would be impossible for all of the Gentiles to keep all of the commandments of Torah, it would be impossible for any Jew to do the same. And they had two understandings that are often missing, but you need to just remind yourself of. Number one, Jeremiah 31 speaks of a new covenant different from the covenant of Sinai. Say that with me different from the covenant of Sinai. And this is in the Jewish scriptures, not the Messianic scriptures. This is according to Israel. There will be a new covenant. So they already identified there is a new covenant. Second, they knew that the Holy Spirit had been poured out, according to the prophet Joel, connected to the new covenant. So they had these two understandings, and that's why they didn't call themselves Torah observant or Shomer Shabbos or anything like that, because they were so radically transformed by Yeshua that they were defining themselves by Him. And already they knew what the Scriptures were. They weren't new to the Scriptures. They weren't like some Christians who had thought all of the Tanakh has been done away with. Not all Christians, but some might think that. They already knew that Tanakh was inspired by God and authoritative. And so they were building on that. They had a simple and a right and a gracious attitude, and the ones that didn't were declared out of bounds. And they were told, you're not part of this Messianic community. You can figure out what you're going to call yourself, but you're not us. And there were boundaries that were formed. And those that said you must become a Jew in order to be saved, or played games and said, and led to the same conclusion, even if they said, well, we don't mean you can't be saved by doing this, but you still must do it. They were declared out of bounds. 
And if anybody knows sports, when you're out of bounds, you know what that means? You're out of bounds. It, it means the play is over. And if you want to fight the referee or the umpire when he declares you're out of bounds, you know what happens. You're out of the game. So that's what the apostles did. They said, it's out of bounds. And if you don't accept that it's out of bounds, you're out of the game. Go start your own game. It's not our game. I'm using that as a metaphor. I hope you understand that. And so Acts 15.23, we're going to end by looking at these few verses. They wrote a letter. A letter that no theologian could write today. Because any theologian would have to write a treatise or a dissertation. And this only has a few sentences. Acts 15, verse 23 and 29, here's the letter. And know that they decided to send people to carry the letter, to confirm the letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, or to those in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia who are brothers from the Gentile nations. Greetings. Verse 24. I love this. We have heard that someone out from us without our authorization, say that with me, without our authorization, and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Boy, can I relate to that. Here's how you can know someone's going out without our authorization. They're saying things contrary to what we're saying. That's how you know. It's not hard. When we want to tell you something, we'll tell you. We try to say it clearly. And those who are together with us can speak in one accord, and we negotiate the language and so forth. But when someone is saying things that are disturbing and against what we're saying, you already know they're without authorization. And all you have to tell them is, out of bounds. You're out of bounds. You can say that. Troubling your minds by what they said. Verse 25, so we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach. And therefore we're sending Judah and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is what we read already. To not burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Simple instruction, great instruction. Don't let yourself be troubled by people who go out without our authorization and disturb you. Don't let yourself be troubled by people who proclaim a different gospel. That's my hope for you, that you'll be strong and you'll take the learning from the scriptures and the apostles, what they have to teach us, and you'll, you'll really let that get into your heart and into your mind so that you can know what is out of bounds. We're going to close with Aaron's blessings right now. I want to um, ask the parents to, who have children in Shabbat school to uh, leave right after this blessing and pick up your kids. Don't stick around for fellowship until you've gotten the kids. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. 
The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone.